You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to episode 196 of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Question for you. Is it possible for a true story to not be true? It may sound like one of my trick questions, but it's not. The answer is absolutely, and this happens more often than you think. I'm going to talk to you about art and photography today and how it applies to stories, the stories that we create in our heads. I have a good friend a very creative man who cannot stand abstract art. It has to be representational art for him because he feels that abstract art isn't quote-unquote real. It doesn't represent anything that he sees in the real world. Well, I'm going to challenge that thought by saying to you that representational art isn't real either. It is a representation of reality. And it tells a story on a level that we are not always aware of. A story with a a bias to it. I recently went to a brilliant um, exhibition at the Art Gallery of Ontario, and it's Impressionism in the age, in the industrial age. And let's look at the word Impressionism. The artist is giving you an impression of something that he or she, <laughs> he or she sees. It's an impression. One of the famous paintings there is by a French Impressionist named Gustave Calebois. And his famous painting, he has many famous paintings, but this one is Le Pont de l'Europe. And in English, what that simply means is the bridge of Europe. And he depicted a very, very famous bridge um in France that uh the population knew and if you know the bridge if you live uh near it you will recognize it when you see it so that for all uh you know for all better so that bridge that painting of that bridge to you will be real. They did an amazing thing at this 
exhibition, next to the painting, they had a video playing with some uh, text explaining what the video was about. So first they showed us the actual diagram of the of the bridge as it is, as close to a realistic representation as possible. And then they began to show how, and they, by the way, they determined this through doing some very sophisticated and precise um, imaging of it. It was a kind of laser imaging of it with computers to study exactly to what degree the artist had changed the perspective of the bridge so that certain elements of the painting are exaggerated. Once again, when you're looking at it, what do you see? You see a man in the foreground on a bridge, and he happens to be leaning on the railing, and he's looking down to a lower level. There's a dog walking past him, behind him, and approaching him, there's a couple that seem to be on a leisurely walk. And even beyond them, as we move more into the background, there's another individual man walking away. And there are the figures and buildings in this particular painting. But what's interesting is that when you examine and compare the actual perspective that the artist gives us to the real bridge, you see that there are certain distortions. Distortions that make the bridge, in a way, in a very subtle way, kind of ominous and more dominant in relation to the people than it would be if you were actually walking on it or looking at this diagram of it that didn't alter any of the perspective. And then you get into the artist's background and you begin to understand that he was a critic of his time, of the um, the violent upheaval that was going on uh, politically, of the war that had taken place, etc. And he was probably leery about um, the value of or what in the industrial age was bringing to his society. And by depicting this bridge the way he did, he was able to plant those messages about his opinions, his feelings about his society and the time into the painting. Now, you may think this is pretty extreme, but let's see, let's talk a bit about when we go to the movies and very often we will see on the screen at the beginning based on a true story. And we will come away and we will say, wow, that is amazing. Look at what happened. Well, the only thing that is true about the movie are 
some of the facts. Yes, some, not all, very rarely are all of them true. We know that um, screenwriters, filmmakers can take artistic license and for the purpose of making a strong, dramatic, and entertaining and gripping, compelling story, they can add fictional elements to the true story, hopefully as long as they stay true to the very essence of what happened. But here's the important thing. Everything about how the story is told is going to influence how you feel and think about the events that you're seeing. And if the filmmaker and the screenwriter have a particularly strong bias about those events, they can pass those biases on to you just by the visual elements that they use, by the editing cuts that they make, by juxtaposing one image against another, etc. And most viewers are not aware that they're receiving those biases. I'm going to use an example of a very brilliant film. I absolutely love this film as an artistic creation. It's The Battle of Algiers. It was um, created by a filmmaker, Gilles Pontecorvo. And what it does is it depicts the real Battle of Algiers in which the Algerians fought the French and won their independence. It's a story of a very violent revolution. It is shot in black and white, and it has such an immediacy to it, such a compelling um, set of images, and, and the storytelling is so gripping that while you're watching it, you may think that you're watching documentary footage of the real battle, but you're not. It is a dramatization of it. Now, here's what's really interesting. By the way, if you see it, you'll be amazed that there are not that many people in it who are actual trained actors. I know specifically of one, and it's the man who plays the military guy, the general, Mathieu, who leads the French army to victory against the Algerians. The others are people that Ponte Corvo found, and a few of them were actually Algerians who participated in the real battle, including the man who is the head of the resistance. And what's amazing about that is that when you see it, the performance that this guy gives is, it's stellar, and he's not an actor. But that's just an aside. Gil Pontecorvo has a very strong bias. He is very sympathetic, not to the French, but to the Algerians in that battle. So that what you get is, yes, the events uh, historically happened. You see the different phases of 
this uh, battle between these two powerful forces, and then you see the actual final moment when the Algerians triumph. But because the filmmaker is sympathetic to the Algerians, you find yourself rooting for the rebels, for the revolutionaries. And someone could have made that film so that you would have looked at them as... You wouldn't have seen them as the heroes. You would have seen the French as the heroes. Now, that was a political event, very powerful, very significant. And your values, your opinions about the event were being shaped and directed very strongly and emotionally by the filmmaker's choices, by the just by the way he shot that movie. Now you will say, well, yeah, but I could be a real student of history and I read everything about it and my political biases can't be swayed, etc. I won't disagree with you, but while you're watching it, your emotions will be, you'll feel a whole set of emotions, and I'm certain that you may find yourself in conflict, even if you feel that you don't side with the Algerians. There'll be moments in it when you'll be inclined to do so. Photography. Many people will say, well, you know, if a person takes a photograph of an event, a journalist, for instance, they're showing you a picture that is objective. They're showing you what happened. Again, it's not that easy, and it's really not that true. There is no such thing as an objective representation when it comes to art, photography, because the artist's, the photographer's point of view is telling you a story, and it's leading you toward a certain um, stance or view of those events. There was a very wonderful, brilliant photographer, um, 20th century photographer named Diane Arbus. Her photographs are gripping, they're haunting, they're disturbing. And she did a lot of photographs of people who were uh, the underdogs of society, the poor, the, um, the downtrodden, the broken. And when you see them, she did some that were very close up of people's faces, and she caught with her camera the desperation, the fear, the loneliness, etc. But you see, not saying that those emotions don't exist in the subjects that she photographed, but what I am saying is that she photographed those people in a way as to highlight those moments, to make you feel um, very, very biased toward them, maybe even to feel pity for them. Let's say you have someone who really cannot stand rich people and does photographs that are very aesthetically pleasing to the eye, but leave you feeling kind of 
uncomfortable about the rich people that are being photographed. That is probably intentional. If you don't like the rich, you can photograph the rich in a way that makes them seem unattractive, that makes them seem like someone, like people that you should not admire. One of the most controversial um, examples of telling a quote-unquote objective story in a documentary is the very famous German filmmaker. She was absolutely brilliant. She was also a photographer, Leni Riefenstahl, and she lived during Hitler's time. And she, well, she's famous for many things, but certainly for two of her documentary films. And one was, uh, it's called The... It's a movie that Woody Allen looks at often. And Woody Allen is definitely not a fan of anything. Oh, it's of course, I remember now. It's called Triumph of the Will. An incredibly powerful film about Hitler and the Nazis and a Hitler rally. And you see the, um, you see him and hear him uh, moving the crowds into uh, in a hypnotic trance when he speaks. You see the disciplined German army marching, etc. And she also did one very famous documentary about the German Olympics. Now, the German Olympic film particularly was cited as propaganda, that she was basically doing a Nazi propaganda film. Of course, also Triumph of the Will. Now, when it came to the the, the one about the Olympics, she, in fact, she always said that she was an artist and she wasn't political. She even said that she wasn't really aware of the atrocities that the, that Hitler and the Nazis were perpetrating, that she was just an artist filming something objectively. That's really hard to believe. When you, if you see both of those, but l- l- let's focus right now on the one about the Olympics. Notice her camera angles. The camera angles elevate the stature of the German athletes to a point where they look like demigods, like superheroes. And of course, what was Hitler's philosophy? That the Germans were the master race. And it really looks like when Leni Riefenstahl was filming the Olympic athletes, she was supporting that point of view. She was presenting an image, not just of human beings who are great athletes, but filming them in a light that makes them larger than life the way comic book heroes are larger than life. And certainly to the German public seeing that, it would be planting in their minds the superiority of the German, which is exactly what Hitler was preaching and certainly what he was promoting 
ruthlessly in all of his propaganda. So, the question remains, was that documentary just the representation of the Olympics? Or was it telling a story that was basically reinforcing the idea that the Nazis were to be admired and emulated and perhaps that one should even become a Nazi and die for that cause. That's how powerful representation of realistic images can be. I really want to challenge you to explore this subject even more. The fact that we are storytelling machines, that when we look at the world, we are looking at it through a lens, and everyone's lens is different. Everyone's lens will see a different, quote-unquote, reality. There's a famous play called Rashomon, which is about a crime that was committed and it's seen through the eyes of three different people. Each one saw something completely different. Is there truth? Or is there just your truth, my truth, and everyone else's truth? To explore these things with an open mind, because I can understand resistance to it, begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.